Well, good morning again. If you're visiting, my name is Peter. I serve as the lead pastor of the Springs. Today, the 11th of November 2018, I get to introduce a new four-week series, preaching series we're going to be doing, entitled Seek First, Jesus' Challenge from Matthew 6 regarding life and money. If you're hyper-perceptive about context clues, you might have already guessed that for the next month or so, we're going to talk from Matthew chapter 6 about money in life, but here's why. I love talking about things that get extra real because it gives us an opportunity to be extra real before God and to see his redemption play out in us, in, in our relationships, and in our lifestyles. So when we talk about things like what the Bible says about sex and money, for instance, it's a unique opportunity to grow in him and not walk away from him thinking we, we're okay. But really seeing his gospel come alive in areas that we desperately need him and know it. Especially with the approaching Christmas season. Most of us tend to add zeros to our level of stupid with regard to how we spend money. And, and I am no exception. Uh, the elder candidates, the three of us that were presented before you by our Mosaic Church leadership last week, we are no exception. We are in desperate need of what God's word says about life and money. And that's one of the reasons we're preaching through the sixth chapter of Matthew in the next month. In fact, one of the, uh, the qualifications for being an elder is that Titus says, quote, he must not be greedy for dishonest gain. Now, this at least means that an elder needs to be good with money and with giving. It also says that one of the qualifications of being an elder is that we need to be uh, capable of preaching the word of God. Now, if our church mission, our entire church mission is to honor God and make disciples, and the framework for all of that is the Holy Bible, then how great of an opportunity do we have to, to get before God's Word and be truly discipled by God, myself especially, as we get into what Jesus says about money and life and risks that we need to be taking, uh, and seeing his redemption plan play out through us. We need to teach more about this. We commit to doing this. We've had a lot of requests from people that we care for here uh, about teaching about money. And so here we go. Can we stand to our feet to honor God's word? We're in Matthew 6. We'll read the first four verses this week. Jesus says, beware Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you that they have received their reward But when you give to the needy, 
Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray together. Jesus, please add a blessing to the reading of your word. You see us the way we are, not the way we think we are, not the way we define ourselves. You see us and you care for us and you, you want to give us true blessing that's beyond uh, our felt need, our 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 wants. Have your way in us. You see us in secret even, and you desire to reward us with something better than any boss of any corporation could ever reward us with. Help us for such a time as this. Amen. I'm going to teach through our passage, our four verses, pretty much verse by verse from start to finish. And as I go, I have two premises, two uh, sort of assumptions that Jesus gives. Uh, You'll see that these two assumptions might contrast each other a little bit in a beautiful way. But I'm 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 going to leave you with one imperative. So two premises, then one takeaway, one thing we got to do. We're challenged by Jesus to do. So verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. It's a really cutting word and caution from Jesus. And we need to be careful not to read into what Jesus is saying, things that he's not saying. Let me give you an example. Jesus is not saying here that we shouldn't do things, righteous things, in front of other people. He's saying, don't do righteous things in front of other people to be seen by them. There's a huge difference. Premise number one, motive matters. Motive matters. Now, if I would have read this verse growing up where Jesus says, do not practice your righteousness in front of other men to be seen by them, I might have initially thought, okay, well, I'm off the hook because I don't practice righteousness. I practice unrighteousness in front of other people to be seen by them and, and get attention of other people. And I thought I was so cute with it. But that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus wants us to practice righteousness. He wants us to do good. He wants us to practice righteousness, but not with an unrighteous heart. Our motive matters. He wants us to live good lives and not bad lives. And so he says, beware. He says, beware, because it's so easy to be deceived about outward appearances. To think that we're impressing God when we're not impressing God. He says, beware. Because without God showing us, we won't see that often we're sinning not by doing bad stuff and not simply by failing to do good stuff, but we're sinning by doing good stuff with a bad heart. 
And Jesus knows that so many die and perish in a state of self-exaltation that we hijack his goodness and we blame it on ourselves. And we think we get a sticker. I'm like, you know, I impressed you, God, didn't I? Ready for a really difficult verse? Well, I mean, I guess it doesn't matter if you're ready. I'm going to read it. <laughs> Isaiah 64. Isaiah says, All of us have become like one who is unclean. Our righteous acts, all our righteous acts, are like filthy rags before a holy God. One sure day in the future, we will all be judged, not simply by the bad stuff we've done or the good stuff we've neglected to do, but also and all the more by the good stuff we've done with a bad motive. Motive matters. And I love what King James Version says about the motive behind doing righteous deeds to be seen by others. It says, do not do it for the glory of men. And if you leave with anything else today, you can know that everything is a glory thing. Creation and redemption and everything about life is a glory thing. Our sin and our fall is not just things that we do or things that we say and things on the list that we're not supposed to do and we're on the outside because we didn't fulfill the list of righteous requirements. No, everything is a glory thing that we failed in. The essence of sin is the vain and rebellious attempt to find glory outside of its purest source, which is in God himself, the glorious one. It's like going deeper and deeper and deeper into a cave or a pit trying to find light. That's essentially what we do, trying to find glory in other things. But God is light. God is glory. He's the most glorious. He, he shows his glory by how he gives. He gives in creation, he gives life and existence to everything. From the most distant star, God shows his glory to the tiniest little bacteria in your gut, which, by the way, is important, God reveals his glory. It's everything in creation, everything in the world is meant to be about his glory. And to the degree that we understand that, are we in right equilibrium in our lives, our behaviors, our thinking? It's all about his glory. And sin is essentially the heart's failure to seek glory in the glorious one as opposed to other things it's in fact a a a determination to find glory in other things besides god adam and eve's sin wasn't just an issue of oh man they had a curious palate to to you know they really wanted to to try that apple or that fig or whatever fruit it was it wasn't a fruit problem It was a problem of trying to find glory in something else and disbelieving the glorious one. It was treasonous and blasphemous to stand before a glorious God and say, no, I I don't trust your glory. I'm going to trust something else. And we do the same. We want to glory in things other than God. And sometimes they're good things, but with a bad motive, like seeking glory in education or intellect 
or our bodies or our family or trying to find our glory or our definition outside of what God says, outside of a a pursuit of his glory. That's what sin is. It's a glory thing. In fact, recently God has confronted me about this in in a really tricky area. You would think that a, a desire to see God's church grow would be only a good desire, right? Uh, But you don't know me. God has recently uh, checked me multiple times, said, Peter, if I answer your prayer for this church and I multiply my kingdom and my people and things spread in advance, but I can do it in such a way where you will never get any of the credit, no high fives, are you going to be okay with that? Now, if you think I wouldn't struggle with a notion like this, you're judging me wrongly. Uh, this question is always hard for me, and God knows that. There's a battle for glory that is the battle beneath all other battles. We don't simply have worldview battles and right versus left battles. We have glory battles, and it's a battle that rages in me as God continues to deal with my sin, as he continues to deal with yours. God created everything for his glory. He created food, sex, money, the ability to experience music, relationships, raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. It's all, it's all for his glory. If, if I'm preceding the Christmas songs, you're welcome. It's all for his glory that he made us. But in our selfish rage, we hijacked the glory bus and drove it off of a cliff, and it's exploded into this irreversible ball of fire. That's essentially world history in my own words. Look and see if you can disagree with that. But here's what God does in Christ. In redemption... He takes us back. He reverses the irreversible. He unexplodes the sin explosion. He takes back and chooses those who've rejected him, which is insane to think about. It's one thing to be rejected, but to choose the one who rejects you? Only God. That's what Jesus does. And why does Jesus redeem a rebellious people? What motive does he have? Well, it's the same motive that he had in creating things. It's for his glory. Peter says it this way. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. This is speaking of redemption in the gospel. Why Jesus would redeem a rebellious people like me and you. Why does he do this? Through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. Motive matters. Whether we're doing things in life and taking up breath and space in our good deeds for His glory or for something else, it matters. God wants us to be motivated by His glory and how we give and how we live out redemption. Now that said, we're to be motivated by His glory to do his will. Because it's not just that how we 
live and, and give matters. Our motive matters also, but what we do does matter. You're going to see the next premise reveal itself in the next few verses. Verse 2, thus, Jesus says, when, when you give to the needy. Everyone say, when you give. When you, <laughs> when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets, that they may be seen or praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Verse 3, but when you give, everyone say, when you give. When you give, when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Uh, honest confession, 1998, I had uh, read this verse for the first time a few months after becoming a Christian. I took it literally. <laughs> so I was in church, and the bucket was going around, and I put my left hand like behind my back, and I, was, like, I tried to do something like tricky, like oh, I'll, put a, I'll put $2 in there, all secret-like. It turns out Jesus was actually speaking figuratively here. <laughs> Also turns out your hands don't have eyes, so it wouldn't matter anyway. But Jesus is wanting, is, is not an issue about the left and the right hand. It's about our heart. He wants us to do the right thing with the right motive. Now, I said earlier that I, I grew up doing unrighteous things to be seen by men. I, I wanted to gain acceptance from others by doing bad stuff so that they would laugh or accept me I, uh, I did all sorts of things, and nothing I did and no acceptance I gained satisfied me. I, I became more defiled in the process, and I scarred more people in the wake of, of my manipulations to find acceptance. I was seeking sin, but God was seeking me in the process. He sent other people to draw me to himself in high school. Uh, he sought me first. He sought me first so that I could seek first his glory. And he showed me his glory and, and, and drew me to himself so that I knew the gospel for the first time. I thought I had known the gospel. I was uh, like Nacho Libre, a real religious man. Uh, but actually knowing that Jesus died for my sin so that I could be forgiven of my past and he rose from the dead so that I could have the surety of new life and a new future with a new adventure and something way better than what sin offered or what religion offers in trying to avoid sin in and of itself, but an adventure of his kingdom expanding in and through me, new life. And I learned and I saw that I could find true acceptance, not acceptance in, in playing my righteous or my unrighteous things before others to gain acceptance and not trying to perform righteous deeds to gain acceptance from God. But I find my acceptance in the righteous things that Jesus performed for me. This is the huge difference between every other idea in religion versus the faith that we can have in Jesus. All other religions and ideas are about essentially man's attempt to get to God through all sorts of external righteous deeds that we do. But we know from the Bible that no one is good and no one seeks God. No, not one. But our faith is about the God that seeks us, that comes to us. The gospel is the good news that God became man in Jesus Christ. 
You might have heard it put this way. He lived the life that we should have lived. And then he died the death that we should have died in our place. On the third day, he rose again from the dead, proving that he is God and gaining the power to offer salvation to anyone who would repent and believe the good news. Because of the gospel, we can be freed from a false pursuit of a false glory and and be forgiven of our past, but also have a new life where we're pursuing, living, and giving the way he intended us to live and give. So premise number one, motive matters, but we see from these next few verses that premise number two, giving matters. Giving really does matter. The confluence, the what do you say, the, the, the unity of these two uh, points is so huge that our motive matters not to the detriment of our actually doing the right thing, just as much as doing the right thing doesn't matter to the detriment of our motive. Both are important. Twice in our passage, Jesus says, and you've repeated after him, good job, the premise, when you give, He's assuming we're givers. He doesn't say, if you give. Jesus doesn't say, if you figure out how to pay for your hobbies and your habits, and then you have a little bit left over to do a good deed that makes you feel a little better, and and maybe even have your phone on you so you can tweet about it. No, He, he says, when you give. He doesn't say, if you feel led to give. Imagine that. Imagine if... It would be like him telling a husband, if you feel led to be faithful to your wife. No, that's absurd. It doesn't matter what you feel. If we belong to Jesus, there's a certain baseline assumption that he's purchased for our new life when we walk in him. And it is strange. Look, it's strange in any culture, in American culture, in any culture, but we are a strange called out people. Jesus assumes that we, we are givers. Believers become like Jesus. Believers become givers. I want to talk about tithing for a few minutes. Is Jesus talking about tithing here? Uh, the, the word tithing means tenth. Uh, the Old Testament talked a lot about tithing. The New Testament talks about tithing. Is Jesus talking here about tithing? Well, no and yes. Jesus is talking to people in this whole Sermon on the Mount where he assumes certain things about their behavior and their beliefs, but he builds on that to go to a deeper and more glorious and more beautiful life that he's calling us to. He assumes a certain baseline So these people felt like they could find their righteousness in doing the Old Testament works of the law, and tithing was one of them. And Jesus said in the same sermon, I did not come to nullify those things, but to build on it in a more greater, uh, a greater redemption. He didn't come to, to set tithing aside. Now, tithing is simply this. It was understood to be a tenth of your income given to the house of God. And Christians, I think, rightly have understood this to be their local church. Some would argue that tithing isn't the only standard in the New Testament for giving. 
And I would agree that it's not necessarily the only standard, but it's at least the baseline standard. Jesus was expecting these people, look, you're tithing, that's good. Don't glory in that. But I do expect that when you give on top of that to the needy, I think Jesus was talking about tithing by assumption, but freeing us to do so much more in the adventure of following him. Now, as it pertains to our culture today, in my calculation, I know enough about our church to know that a larger, much larger proportion of our people tithe uh, than in most American churches. Uh, More of our people tithe than in most churches. But I also know, too, that many of you don't. Many of you don't. And if that's you, if you don't tithe, and you're a believer, you believe in Jesus, and you've, called, you've been called by God to be a part of this church, you call this church your church, I think you need to start there. As far as it relates to giving, I think you need to see God show himself strong in your life, stepping out in faith in this area. God can do more with 90% of your money than you can do with all of it. Yeah. By the way, it's all his. And we show that an act of faith, this old school habit of faith called tenthing, uh, tithing, as a protection for us. That God, I, I do trust you. Okay, well, show me. Okay, I trust you with all of this and I'm showing you in, in this way. Any fraction of your income or your life or your time, God can do more with. And that's the point. This isn't just so that we can keep the lights on in church. It's for your good. And again, it's about his glory in your life. Now in our passage, Jesus was talking about people who understood these things, but got stuck there. I want us to launch from there, not get stuck before there, and not get stuck at our righteous deeds, we've, we've, we've got this, this limit, we've got this number checked off. No, I want us to see more like what God sees in the needs of other people and the miracle of what he can do, not just through that guy, but, but through you. About seven centuries before Jesus, one of the marks of the nation of Israel's fall from grace that incurred a severe judgment One of the marks of their sinfulness was their willingness, their uh, habit and proclivity to live in ease and habitually disconnect their hearts and their focuses and their attention from the, the needs of the poor around them. Ezekiel, the prophet in this, in this time period, says this. He actually relates the people of Israel at this time to the judged city of Sodom that came before them. He says, Behold, this was the guilt of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters had pride, excess of food, and prosperous ease, but did not aid the poor and needy. Now, I invite you to ask God today, God, show me what I can do. Look, I I don't don't care what income bracket you come in. 
I'm guessing that most of us have the habit of thinking, well, this would apply to me if I had just a little bit more. I guarantee you people who make a few hundred thousand dollars a year think the same thing in their nature. And God wants us, wherever we are, to be faithful with what he has, and he wants to show himself strong by caring for us. He's a good father. And I dare you to pray earnestly, God, show me the needs around me and help me to trust you to magnify you by how I give instead of magnifying my need and obsessing over my need. God will care for your needs. And he's wanting you to do something that puts you in a position where only if God comes through for you, only if God comes through for you. By the way, that's the truth anyway. Everything you already have is an amazing gift. And he'll show you that now, one practical outlet for this that we're hoping can be a, an outlet for you if, if you need help with this, like I need help with this, is our storehouse ministry. We do this to feed others, and I especially get to see the joy of people that come through here in extreme need, and let me just pass on the joy that I see as much as I can to you, that the Lord is doing amazing things to help people with needs through our storehouse ministry where we ask you to add things on the list that we have printed out for you to your grocery bill so that you can see that the needy are a part of my habitual acquisition of goods, right? And you bring it to the church and and we are able to give to people in need. But I need you to know that this ministry, the storehouse ministry, isn't just something that ministers to the needs of those receiving the gifts, but it's one way that ministers to the needs of those giving the gifts. I thank God that God placed our church building around particular people in need because I needed to be in some ways geographically forced to obey the Bible. And we have a gift in that. The storehouse ministry is one of them. But again, if you pray this, this prayer, God will be faithful to give you, open your eyes to the need that's already around you. Motive matters, and giving matters. And so here goes that takeaway I promised. Seek the secret reward of the Father. Seek the secret reward of the Father. Seek riches. Quickly, get rich quick in the reward of the Father. Is that still a phrase? I don't know. If you're older than 35, maybe you'll get that. Now pay close attention to verse 4. Jesus commands all these things, challenges all these things, but here's why. So that your giving may be in secret. Your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's the third time in our passage that a reward from the Father is mentioned. Let that sink in for a second. Not seeking a reward from God is not godly. Our position before Him is a gift that Jesus has purchased. 
And it's set us up to be in a place where we can be children and not enemies, but children that seek the pleasure and affirmation and reward of God the Father. Now, I've, I've heard people say things like, well, I don't do it for the reward. I just do it for the good of it all. I can't think of any reason why that misunderstanding would be verbalized except for poverty and shame. If God is a rewarder and you're seeking his reward, then you are doing it for the good only if you're seeking his reward. And if you're not seeking his reward, you're seeking some other glory. At our camping outing last week, we had a good time at it. I noticed something with my son that someone else pointed out that uh, he is a really exceptionally athletic little kid and we were playing catch with the football and then I went with uh, Thaddeus to go set up our tent and he kept, my son kept playing, my six-year-old son kept playing football with someone else and someone else pointed out to me that every time he'd catch the ball, he would look over to me to see if, if I had saw his impressive catch. I think there's something healthy in that. I think there's something healthy in all of us that we seek the affirmation, the reward of our heavenly father beyond our earthly father. And that's how God made things. That we don't just do things for how we, we, we function, not, not just for the good of it, but for the good of the glorious one and his affirmation. we're not seeking his affirmation, we're just, we're, we're actors. We're actors. Now, Jesus says this, when he says, calls the, the, the Pharisees hypocrites, it doesn't have the harsh undertones like our, when we use the word hypocrites. Uh, the, the, when he said hypocrites, he just used a, a Greek word that simply meant play actors that they were familiar with. But it's definitely not something we want to to be. We don't want to just act things out. We want to have right motive and right giving. Now here's something that Jesus says though that is harsh and cutting. He says, they already have their reward. This is one of the hardest things I see spoken in the Bible. Most of us work for, we strive for, we, we primarily seek to earn an earthly reward to the detriment of a heavenly blessing. We, we don't know any better unless we're taught better and shown better. All too often, the American dream kills the Father's reward in our lives. And he's so good that he would seek to rescue us from lesser glories like that. Remember the marshmallow study done by, uh, uh, it was like 20 or 30 years ago, there was a study where they put a bunch of kids in a room and they, I think, I might be butchering this, but you'll get it. They gave him a marshmallow, and they said, if you wait a few minutes before you eat this marshmallow, then when I come back, I'll give you another one. So you'll have two. Uh, long story, a little less long. They, uh, pretty much no kid, took that offer up. They ate that marshmallow right away. And what I'm here to say is, we're not that different. We need to seek 
the, to wait on God and seek the heavenly reward and trade the current marshmallow, whatever it is in our life, for a greater one. Now, in, the, in our case, it is, we're, not, we're not just talking about marshmallows. We're talking about eternal, ha, wrap your mind around that word, eternal heavenly blessing that's way better than any of the things that songs would be written about today, that we would, that we would glory in. Jesus wants so much better than that for us, and he wants us to make trades. He puts people with needs in our lives to offend our sensibilities and to bless us so that we would have a greater blessing. He wants us to seek the reward of the Father. Would you stand to your feet with me?